This special broadcast of Africa's State of Mind, we speak with David Lubinsky, Senior Program Officer of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, about the organization's work on the continent. Over 1.7 billion people are financially excluded due to slow innovation in payments. David Lubinsky told us why this is the case. We pick up the conversation with him where he talks a bit about his background. So my career primarily is in the commercial sector. Um, So I spent time in the computing industry uh, for a number of years and then went to Microsoft and spent 10 years at Microsoft, uh, which which was a great experience. Um, Understanding how the commercial sector works, how it works globally, and how technology can be made available broadly to the entire uh, uh, world population was great. But I began to realize that the uptake of technology wasn't evenly distributed. Mm -hmm. And in particular, countries like Africa, which had so much appetite for technology um, in health and other sectors. And working from the perspective that I had um, was, was wonderful, but I wasn't able to continue the work as thoroughly as I wanted to. So I wanted to basically change uh, kind of points of view. And so I left uh, Microsoft and went to the World Health Organization to look at how health systems, predominantly in Africa, were able to use technology to basically improve the way they deliver health to their citizens. I did that for a number of years and then um, went back to the U.S. and spent time at a not-for-profit funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Program for Appropriate Technology and Health, where again, focused in Africa on the way information systems were being used to manage drug supplies and vaccine delivery and basic medical uh, types of services, um, also funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And ultimately, it became clear that working from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation would allow me to even have a greater impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that brings us to today, where the focus again um, from my position and a lot of our work in financial services is focused on Africa. Now let's let's talk a little bit about um, just with regards because there's so many things I can pick up on my mind buzzing everywhere. Um, but let's pick up on the whole, you know, like I'm particularly interested about when you said about how with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation about how they were using technology to be able to distribute medication more effectively, you know, to different to different areas. And unfortunately, when you look at places like um, South Sudan, for example. Getting the kind of help that is needed there is important, but the question is how, and this is where tech comes in. For you, how do you how have you seen tech um, help with the distribution of health services in an effective way? So this is really a remarkable thing. So in the ten years or so uh, since I left the commercial sector, what's happened is the availability of great digital technologies has only gotten so much better, um, and in most cases has gotten so much more cost effective. And so the question that we faced um, when I was previously at the WHO was, does each country have to do it themselves? Does each, does each region have to do it themselves? And what we found is that there's so much in common within countries across provinces and districts, and there's actually so much in common across countries. So we started to look at this more collaboratively where we could bring countries together and, in, and instead of each country saying, this is what I need, we would bring countries together to say, as a group, what do you need? What we found is that their needs were quite common. Not identical, but common. 
So as a result, the ability to look at areas like the uh, distribution and management of medications and vaccines, that in fact the way countries could use technology was very similar, similar enough that countries could learn together and actually develop solutions together and implement them in, in a consistent you know, uh, way. They also could learn from each other. And so it, it just opened our eyes to the power of collaboration of countries in Africa. Um, and that work continues to this day. And there are a number of countries that are well on the way to strengthening how they do medication management down to the clinic level and doing it in phenomenal ways, using the best of technology, largely open source software, that they share freely, they contribute and develop collaboratively, and it's such a phenomenal thing to see. And it, you see African countries getting stronger and then teaching others. Which is quite fascinating, the fact that, because, and I think what generally happens is that where there's a need, people find a way, and when they find a way, it becomes almost revolutionary, then everybody around the world looks and says, this is actually a phenomenal way of getting this done better. Absolutely. Now let's talk about just the, um, the importance of Africa um, as the entire continent to the foundation. Why the foundation feels it's really important to, to partner, invest, um, and you know, do charity work in Africa as a whole. So the, the history of the work um, in Africa at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation goes back to the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And it was very clear when um, Bill Sr., uh, Bill Gates' father, um, initially you know, started with the foundation, set it up even before Bill and Melinda joined full time, it was very clear that the foundation's special purpose in the world was to focus on where the needs were greatest. And those needs around uh, medications, basic health interventions that were not getting uh, delivered to people, it, it just seemed like a, a gap that needed to be filled. And so the, the work started, like I said, from the very beginning, and it's only gotten richer and richer since then. So vaccine delivery is, has improved so much. Um, in, in Africa and it, the number of children that are vaccinated today is so high, but it's gone further than that. What, what's happened is there is more research taking place in Africa, in African institutions. There's more policy development taking place, being led um, right here in, in Africa. And what we see is the institutions, ministries of health, private sector health providers, universities, it's just gotten stronger and stronger, such that our approach is to fund institutions and partners in Africa that were here before and will be here long after um, we're, we're done with our part. Now, a very um, core part of all of this is obviously financial services, which is why you're in South Africa at the moment. Um, before we started recording, you actually mentioned something that I thought was so, was so like well put, so I'm just going to repeat it. You basically said that if financial services, um, when financial financial services are like plumbing, you don't notice the plumbing when it's not working, but when it isn't working, that's when you notice. So let's talk about just financial services within Africa and perhaps the world as a whole, and the fact that you know, as mentioned in your presentation, um, almost two billion people don't you know don't have access to financial services. Let's talk about how how we change this. Yeah, that, that is such a key issue, and it, you are quite right. That is the reason that I'm here in South Africa uh, today with the Payment Association of South Africa. 
Um, of that, that two billion people, roughly two billion people around the world don't have access to even the basic formal financial services. 400 million or so of those people are adults living in Africa. But Africa already has the largest number of mobile money account holders in the world. In the world. And so the way to solve for the 400 is already being demonstrated in, in Africa, largely in Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, with M-Pesa, yes. But others are coming on with, with other services. And the banks are active in the space too. Um, so it isn't just mobile network operators, but, but certainly the, the lead has been taken by mobile network operators. So the question is, why are 400 million people, adults in Africa, still not able to access services? And this is the focus of our work at this point. Like the supply chain in health that we talked about earlier, we believe that countries have a lot to teach each other and a lot to learn uh, from each other. And when we look at these basic financial services, the, the transformative effect that it has on a household to go from not having access to any of these services to having access to basic transaction accounts where they can send, receive, and store money, it's transformative at the, at the household level. We see this over and over and over again. So the question is, how do we reach the 400? How do we get to everybody in Africa? Uh, and that is really the focus of our work uh, at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation now, and working with partners uh, throughout, but also um, with many of the commercial actors uh, throughout the continent as well. Uh, we believe that markets are really important because philanthropy can only go so far. A lot of times it can do that. You should say that again, that's important. Oh, I, but it, it, it's so true that, um, you know, markets sustain efforts and initiatives over time, and there is so much capacity in Africa for the use of technology, for the creation of new businesses and new ideas. Uh, we see great things happening with foundations that are being created by people that have been very successful, reinvesting uh, right here uh, in Africa. And so the potential for the, the entrepreneur sector, micro and small enterprises uh, to come in and fulfill needs that are present is so great, but it takes the plumbing. They have to have plumbing. Small and medium enterprises, entrepreneurs, they need access to capital. What we find in other uh, parts of the world that uh, companies that are formal, meaning that they have formal bank accounts or mobile money accounts where they digitize their activities, they're able to be assessed to be more credit worthy so they can access credit. Um, this, is, this is a really important enabler. And we would say, well, that's just lending. It's lending with intelligence. And these businesses that are not able to access formal services, all of their work, all of their great activity is invisible. No, nobody that lends can, can see that. When they become formal, now they have a digital history. Now they have a track record. Now they're credit worthy. And, and this is just one of those elements that unlocks the potential of this market. And now just something else, specifically when it comes to um, doing work or 
starting anything new within the continent of Africa. I love Africa, but I know that sometimes the leaders, when it comes to policies and putting policies in place and regu you know, mm -hmm. regulation and everything, that can really take a long time and that can be where sometimes you'll find there's a block in the system. Um, when it comes to how would you make a, a, a case for, for countries within the continent, because you already mentioned how Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda are kind of leading this movement, yes. but countries, how would you make a case um, for, for, for finance, digital financial services to African leaders or countries where this is not seen as a norm, not just to them, but also to the bank, to African banks that mm -hmm. have not seen this as being important and seen as a threat? How would you make a, a case for this? So both of those um, segments that you mentioned, uh, the regulatory segment mm -hmm. as well as the provider segment are really, really key. Um, part of our investments at the Bill Melinda Gates Foundation have actually focused exactly on these audiences. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So we, along with some other uh, funders, created the Alliance for Financial Inclusion, which was a way for central bank governors and senior leaders in the central banks to come together and meet and discuss on these very topics that you're mentioning so that they could actually learn together as well as kind of present their issues and challenges that they had in each of their respective markets. How do they strengthen their financial infrastructure so that everybody in their economy can be a part? Um, and so that was one part of our investment. The other part of our investment is with these very providers, um, the banks, um, and mobile network operators. And so they have various uh, kind of communities that they have formed. And we help fund the convenings and the dissemination of this kind of information. Um, we work with the Bank for International Settlements, which is like the, the global standard setter. And there's an important committee called the uh, CPMI, the Committee for Payment Markets Infrastructure. And these bodies are, they're looked to as the, the kind of global authorities. And we've worked closely with these entities, along with the World Bank, to basically help uh, define and articulate policies and, and principles that can be easily shared and understood. And we've gathered together a lot of these best practices, uh, policies, and principles into a set of things that we at the Gates Foundation have called level one for level playing field and a single inclusive digital economy. And we believe that an, a, a digital economy that includes everyone works for everyone. If people are left out, you cannot have a successful and prosperous economy if you leave out, particularly if you leave out women in countries. I mean, the, uh, the backbone of, of economies throughout Africa are based on micro-enterprises, small enterprises, smallholder farmers, healthcare workers and healthcare systems, education. These are all um, organizations or bodies or businesses that are largely led by women. And so part of our approach is let's bring everybody in. And by doing that, you are going to bring many, many women who don't have accounts into the formal sector and to be a part of this digital economy. And so we think that the, the, the payoffs are just tremendous across all segments. And I think that is important, especially you know, what you said about women. I mean, when you look at different African countries, and then, for example, I believe it's in Nigeria, when it comes to the actual markets, it's the women at the markets 
who are driving a huge part of the economy. I mean, even when you look at the fact that the informal sector plays such a huge role in bringing money into different economies from different African city to African city, this is so important in that case. That's you know, right. To have to, for everybody to be included, um, you know, in the economy. So now let's also talk about because we mentioned um, Mpesa and we, you also mentioned you alluded towards the fact that there are other kind of um, you know, digital financial services coming up. Because this is happening at such a rapid rate, mm. the, the question comes around security yes. and around ensuring that you don't get, you know, that you don't sign up with somebody or, or get into, into an app that is going to be work against you in the end. That's right. So how does somebody protect themselves in this kind of environment where there's so much technology, there's so much happening at the same time, and when it comes to money, that's a really big issue? It, it's an enormously important issue. I mean, it's particularly for people that are, that are very poor, it, it may be small amounts of money to, you know, outsiders, but to that household, it's crucial. That money is life-saving money. So these, these protections have to be put in place. So there's several things that, that I think deserve a good deal of attention. First of all, in each country, the central bank and the payments directorates within uh, those countries, they're responsible to make sure that the system is safe and secure. The tools to manage in the digital economy, particularly the digital financial services economy, they need to be robust. The capacity of these supervisors needs to be brought up to, to the, the highest levels possible. So that's an area that, that we invest in. And we, we partner with the World Bank. Uh, we partner with, as I mentioned, the Alliance for Financial Inclusion, the IMF, to, to really look at what are the best ways to bring the capacity level up so that the supervisors can do the job that they're now being asked to do. But it goes beyond that. When people are new to delivering financial services, uh, like mobile money operators, um, Kenya has over a decade of experience now. They, they handle so much of the financial system, um, the payments infrastructure for Kenya. They've learned so much. And GSMA, which is the Association of Mobile Network Operators, has done a lot to basically understand, document, and then share what are those best practices for making sure your systems are secure, that your customer data is confidentially protected, uh, that you adhere to the best practices. Um, and they've gone so far, GSMA has, to actually promulgate a code of conduct that now mobile money operators are working to uh, meet and achieve that standard so that in a country, they can be viewed as having understood and then met the kind of requirements that it takes to be a really good, uh, secure provider of financial services. And then it goes without saying, but banks have had to deal with this for a long time. But they're relatively new to banking people for the first time. And in many cases, they're not familiar with the needs of the very poor. So this requires, again, that banks learn how is it that people that don't have a lot of money, but they transact a lot, they have active financial lives, how do we manage customers like that that are transacting frequently but in small amounts where we still have to ensure the safety and security of the system, but now potentially we could have many more customers and they're learning and growing and building out their infrastructure and those are also things that we support.
Now, just with regards to that, obviously when we talk about digital financial services, we also talk about the smartphone. And I think I, I read an interesting stat in our talk where they said that I think in the next few years or so, 750 million, there'll be 750 million smartphones in Africa. You know? And then you look at the fact that um, there was another stat that came out that you know, within the next few years or so, about a third of the world will be African. And then you look at the fact that Africa has got the youngest population in the world. So everything is screaming towards Africa and it's you know really becomes a focus. So it's going to become a case in my opinion where mm. when Africa sneezes the rest of the world is gonna get a cold because that is you know just in terms of numbers. Yes. Um we spoke a bit earlier, I think it was before before the recording about seeing Africa as being a market. Um, how would you you know how would you from your work um, in the continent, how would you perhaps further this case to some of your colleagues outside of the continent about just the importance of the market of Africa. It, it, it is a really good question. So it is clear that the future prosperity of Africa is going to be based largely on the extent to which Africa can realize that the digital economy, the digital economy that's happening around the world. And the digital economy basically it, it dissolves barriers, it dissolves boundaries. Um, it doesn't eliminate responsibilities, but it, it does enhance the opportunity. And so when you look at the, the way trade is done today, so much trade potential exists within Africa, African countries producing for Africa consumers. Markets in Africa that have products, raw material that can be used by other parts of the country but a lot of that isn't realized. A lot of the, the raw material in Africa is exported outside of the uh, continent. And so the opportunity is, how can Africa be its own best digital economy for within the continent trading? And that is across the, the markets uh, here. That's one building block that is absolutely essential. But the dynamic that you're talking about is is even more critical when it comes to jobs and job creation. It, and it's true that I think the statistic is by 2050, Africa will have more people becoming working age than the rest of the world combined, which means these young people need jobs. So part of that digital economy, yes, let's, let's have intra-Africa uh, uh, trade, and let's optimize the efficiency of working within Africa, but we also have to be a job creator. And so this is where the entrepreneurial sector comes in. This is where attracting foreign direct investment uh, to bring in the, the business formation capital that, that is necessary. And, and we think that the digital economy feeds right into that because when you can efficiently trade within, now you can efficiently trade across, across the world. Um, and so these things really work together and it all revolves around technology and the ability to have this vibrant and what we believe inclusive digital economy that, that serves everybody. And then final question around this and I'm going to go to my favorite question. So final question is the whole question around data and data costs in Africa. So South Africa for example has I think amongst the highest um, cost of data. Uh, you know, but then in other African countries for example it's not as high. What would 
what would your case be, you know, to keep to regulate it, to lower the cost of dots, because that also obviously separates, you know, the haves and the have-nots even more. Yeah, so it's a very key question. And when you look at the, the economy globally, we see two dynamics. One is we see the potential of entrepreneurs in, in the case of financial services, we call it this whole segment fintech, you know, the financial technology uh, entrepreneurs. Um, and as we mentioned before, there's tremendous potential uh, for African-based entrepreneurs to build solutions that are really able to solve problems, fill gaps right here um, across Africa. But it requires infrastructure and it requires uh, that we think smart um, about how does that infrastructure get it put in place and how does it get paid for. And this is where um, it, Africa is different than China in that it is made up of 54 countries. Um, I believe the number is there's 44 different central banks, 42 currencies. So it's not like India with one, one regulator, one currency. Um, even though it's large and complex, Africa is more complex. Because, but it's, of because of that diversity. However, what we also see is that within, within Africa, there are countries that are moving ahead. And in the matter of costs and standards, we think that the examples that are going to be set, like M-Pesa in Kenya, um, like the payments infrastructure that's being put in place in Egypt, like many of the things that are happening right here in South Africa, that these exemplars are going to be able to be, be held up and used as models. And the dynamic of costs, the other aspect of the digital economy is transparency. That once we know what costs are and consumers know what costs are and consumers are allowed to choose, consumers naturally gravitate towards more effective, lower cost, faster, more convenient. This is what drives innovation worldwide. That is going to happen here. We see it happening already. So as we see some markets, as you mentioned, that might hold on, it's going to become increasingly difficult to, to withstand the gravitational pull towards transparency and the economics of digital at scale. And this is the opportunity we see in Africa because there are people fully embracing this. And, and that's what just accelerates this uptake. And of course, at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, we would like to see it accelerate even faster. We want the next 400 million adults in Africa to get access to these basic financial services. I really like that. And just in closing, as we were speaking, um, I had a, in my mind, I had this analogy. You know, when you think about the music industry, for example, everything started, it was, I think, vinyl into, or the tape into vinyl, or whatever it was, into CD, you know, to, you know, and then also when you're in the States, for example, in New York, you can't find a record store. Everything is digital. Yeah. I said that to ask this. Do you ever think that we're going to be in a place in the financial sector where we don't see traditional banks anymore, where everything moves into a place where everything is literally on your phone and you don't actually have to interact with people? And, and to add to that, how does somebody get themselves prepared for the job market in that regard? Yeah, this is really a key question. Um, and we get this a lot, you know, is there a future for banks? And I would, I would say this. There is a future for banking. There is a future for financial services. 
And there are many banks, including the, the leading banks here in South Africa, as well as the leading banks in, in every market, that are on their own journey to become digital, to become that provider to their customers that are offering that digital experience. And many of them will do that, and they will do well at it. Not all of them will. And like you said in the record industry, it's the same in the print industry. Um, and you're a great example of this, is the way people consume media today is different. Not everybody could adapt. We see the same in financial services, and the, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is not creating that market. We're just, we're just following those market dynamics. What we want to know is how people that are very poor and excluded from the system can be served. And in some cases, they'll be served by brand new entrants. People that come in to say, I only think digital. In some cases, they may be served by traditional institutions, traditional banks that say, we've got to deliver a digital experience that is expected among the new generation, but it's also something that is effective to reach the very poor. Markets we didn't even know existed until we had these digital capabilities. We're agnostic to the mechanism, but we're very passionate about the goal of somebody has to reach and somebody has to serve, and digital technologies make that happen. Many traditional organizations are, are struggling with how do we become that digital you know, uh, service provider? And like I said, there's so much good energy and entrepreneurial spirit here that it's gonna get solved. It'll get solved by new players to transition. It will not be held a jurist. Okay. Just in closing, this time you're not being held a jurist. You can answer any way that you want. We won't hold it against you. We love all African countries equally the same, although some are more equal, like Uganda. But <laughs> what is your favorite African country to visit? Oh my gosh. Um, so, it is really difficult for me to, to pick out a, a favorite country. I will tell you that when I um, went to the World Health Organization and started focusing on Africa, I uh, spent most of my time in two countries, um, Sierra Leone um, in, in the West and Rwanda in the East. And as you know, uh, both of these countries have recent history, um, but in both cases, these were countries where the, the optimism and passion for building their, their culture, rebuilding their society, rebuilding their, their economies was so breathtaking. Now, admittedly, these aren't the biggest countries. Um, and many of people would say these aren't necessarily the, the, quote, bellwether leadership countries, although I think that we see some wonderful things coming out of Rwanda. Um, which is phenomenal, but I have to tell you, there's a special place in my heart to see how those countries have risen through the challenges and adversity that they face. And many countries across Africa have, uh, have done similar, but those are two countries that really, you know, have a, have a special place in my heart. That was a very good answer. I can't even argue with that, so it's fine. <laughs> David, thank you so much for spending time with us on Africa State of Mind. It's been an excellent conversation. And congratulations on, on just all the amazing work um, that the foundation does for, you know, around the world and within Africa as a whole. Wow, we are delighted to be able to spend this time with you. Thank you so much. When, when you hear the term Africa state of mind, what comes to your mind? Optimism. I mean, it just, it just echoes that it's a, an Africa state of mind is about the future. 
and the future of Africa, I think, is very, very promising. Uh, we're delighted to, to see this and, and see what you're doing to help make that happen. Thank you. Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now.